Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Monday, December 23rd, 2019. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. And if you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know that our midweek podcast is usually recorded on Wednesday. But this Wednesday is Christmas, and this Tuesday is Christmas Eve. So we decided to record on this Monday night because we didn't want to record on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day because our families already get neglected enough. So here we are, and literally nothing interesting has happened since we last recorded on Sunday afternoon. And there's almost nothing that's going to happen this week until we get to Saturday other than the Diamond Hit Classic. So we decided to spend this podcast looking back at 2019. And what we've done is ranked the 10 biggest, most important, most interesting things of 2019 in the sport of college basketball. We did it via email earlier today. So what we're going to do is run through it, uh, and it'll be a trip down memory lane, I guess. Then we'll close with a mailbag uh, segment, and then we'll get back to drinking and wrapping presents and stuff. Norlander, does this all sound okay to you? Sounds good. There's no shot you've even wrapped one present so far, though. I don't know how. Yeah, neither do I. I'm actually, I've actually, I have, I haven't entirely given up on it. It's funny you bring that up though, because I got a little more work to do here tonight, and then I'm gonna try and get some of the stuff done. But I've almost entirely abandoned this and totally gone the bag route with the with the paper inside, yep. and it's just like you open up the bag, and then that's what you do. I mean, if you have not gone this way for someone who is probably just as bad at wrapping as I am, it's it's really a nice alternative. Oh yeah, no, I'm a to- I'm a total bad guy. Like for my wife, my like my wife handles everything. Like you know, parents, uh, you know, nieces, nephews, our kids, and she loves to rap. She's great at it. Whatever. Uh, so the only thing she's not responsible for is her own present, and so her present comes in a bag yeah. every year, <laughs> without exception. <laughs> and really, we reach the point where I, I, I tell her well in advance of Christmas. I say, listen, I don't want to have to think. I know that people say that it's the thought that counts. I don't want to have to think about this. I don't want to brainstorm and then get get figure out something I think will be good and then it's not exactly what you wanted. I would rather you just, whenever you run across something that you see that you like or that you wouldn't mind having, just send me a link and I'll collect links and then I'll buy everything you want and put it in a bag and you'll be hopefully everybody gets what they want. I get the relief of not having to think about what I'm going to get somebody for Christmas and you get exactly what you want. And so that's our that's our working agreement that seems to to be at, at least good from my perspective. Yeah, no, I, I hear you on that. Uh, I'm definitely I'm ready for uh, I'm ready for Christmas. Merry, you know, uh, happy Hanukkah, uh, Merry Christmas. We're actually recording this on Festivus. If there's any airing of grievances, uh, podcast-wise, world-wise, college hoops-wise, <laughs> you can get into that as well. Uh, but I'm glad we were able to get this episode out for our listeners. I know plenty of you are probably going to be commuting uh, as you listen to this on Christmas Eve, either by plane, train, or automobile. And so we're happy to to have you here. And hopefully, you know, something like this is is up your alley. You know, just a little a little bit of a different thing. But when there's not a lot of news happening, why not look back, talk about the stuff that we thought mattered most? And then actually, in building this out, what I actually did too was. I went and looked at every single podcast we published in 2019 and tried to figure out, okay, what was you know the lead item in this and this and this and this, and then it started to collect from there. And so, as Parrish can attest, uh, we are not short on items. I said, all right, here's like 29 things, and you're like, dude, we cannot... It'll be a seven-hour podcast, and you're absolutely right. Um, so we narrowed it down to what we thought were our either 10 favorite, most notable, just you know the buzziest things that happened in the year 2019 in college basketball. It's by no means been a quiet year. A lot of historic stuff has happened, and so and so here we go. 
and we're going to do it uh, from 10 to 1. So it's a so it's a countdown. And Norlander, I'll let you introduce number 10. All right, number 10 and you know this the 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 race to 10 if you will. Things that came up 11, 12, 13, 14 it was a tough call, but I'm actually going to go with what what news broke late the night of June 21st. Uh, and then June 22nd, it really got going. It was official by June 26th, and that is UConn leaving the American Athletic Conference to go to the Big East. It's the most significant interconference uh, piece of movement we had in five, six years in, in college athletics. It's a move that I think three, five, seven years from now we are going to look back on and see was – kind of the the fracture that that really put a hard cap on the American Athletic Conference's ceiling, which I still maintain. I'm probably more pro-AAC than maybe anyone in the national media, um, but you lose a school of importance like UConn. Uh, I, it's not that you can't recover from it. Still, the American Athletic Conference is still going to be a multiple-bid league every single season, and in fact, it can have seasons like last season when it was even better than the Pac-12. But it's a major, major blow, and we wait to see if it ever even winds up replacing uh, UConn in that league. For the Big East, it gets to 11 teams. It's going to go to a 20-game league schedule, which personally I don't like, but whatever, that's a whole other tangent altogether. But for these big conferences that want 20-game league schedules, you get 11 of the Big East, that means 10 in the round robin, home and homes. And then for UConn, which punts on football, um, but fulfills one of the wishes of of Danny Hurley when he got the job. I mean, when he got that job, and he did mull over it. He had Pittsburgh also offering. Um, he said, you got to try and get us in the Big East. Try as best you can. Please, please, please get UConn into that league. And uh, David Benedict, the athletic director at UConn, uh, in the cloak of darkness practically, uh, was able to negotiate this. And when this did happen, one more quick thing for you, and then I'll – Hand it back over to you, Parrish. When this happened, um, it was a shocker. No one saw this coming. And I was actually, I happened to be covering the Travelers Championship, which is the PGA Tour event that happens every year in Connecticut. You have, what is yours, the FedEx, what is it? Um, the uh, Fed, It used to be the FedEx St. Jude Classic. Now it's the FedEx St. Jude Invitational because it's a WGC event. Boom. So there you go. So that happens in your in your backyard, so to speak. Every year I have the Travelers Classic. So because of that, by the way, most of the writers who would cover UConn best sports in general you know, are covering that event. So it was just kind of a funny scene. Uh, about 10 to 12 of us that morning all working in the golf tent and no one's watching golf, writing about golf, going to the course, any of that stuff. It was all about UConn and what was uh, what was to come that day. And, and so there we go. So to me, the number 10 event uh, this year, no small thing, come, geez, Parrish, just a little over six months from now, it will be official. UConn and the Big East will merge once more. You mentioned that Danny was, you know, he had Pitt offer on the table as well. I, I know he had friends who told him you should take Pitt over UConn because UConn being in the AAC is never going to allow um, that program to be what it once was. You'll be chasing ghosts in an impossible way. So certainly, um, once you take the UConn job, you you would you want it to be set up for success. And though I think reasonable people could disagree 
on whether it's willing to sacrifice football to just play basketball in the Big East. Uh, clearly, it is what UConn's administration wanted, UConn's fans wanted, and it is best for the basketball program. Is it best for the entire athletic department? Again, that's debatable. But is it best for the basketball program specifically? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. And you know, I, I think I reported this at the time that it happened. Gino Ariano had been pushing for this as well and wanted it. And so, uh, you know, and so th- like th- that's enough to make it to make it happen. So here we are. Um, I will say it's a big blow to the American Athletic Conference because the past couple of years, people would ask, so what does the AAC have to do to, you know, to catch the Big East and and be considered, you know, on equal footing with with that basketball league and uh, one of the things I would say consistently was that you need to have Mick Cronin keep Cincinnati where it's at. You need to have Greg Marshall like maintain a, a certain level of relevance at, at Wichita State. You need Kelvin to maintain where he's uh, taken Houston to. And then you need Memphis to get back to being Memphis, and you need UConn to get back to being UConn. Well, Memphis has gotten back to being Memphis, but – Mick Cronin is now out of the league. Cincinnati has dropped off at least to some degree, and maybe just temporarily, but still, they're they're not that great right now. And of course, UConn's on the way out the door, and so it's a blow to the league. Um, you know, even if if some fans of AAC schools tried to act like it, it wasn't, um, but it's a, a good thing for the Big East, and I would assume ultimately, at the very least, a good thing for for those basketball programs for the athletic department. Like I said, debatable, but good thing for. Um, the UConn basketball programs. Let's go to number nine. Number nine on our list of uh, the biggest, most important, most interesting things in college basketball in 2019, we decided it was John Morant going from basic anonymity to college star to the number two pick in the NBA draft. And now as we sit here talking, the likely NBA rookie of the year. It's, it's a pretty wild story because it's not just that he was a quote-unquote mid-major guard who became a first-team All-American in the number, number two pick in the draft. He was the number three scorer at Missouri at, at Murray State his freshman season. So, so think about this: in less than two years of real time, John Morant from the went John Morant went from the third-leading scorer at an OVC school to the leading scorer of an NBA team, who is in in somebody who is about to be the rookie of the year and I I obviously see him a lot more than you because of where I live he's he looks like a star not not a star right now but he looks like he's going to be one he's already doing he's already getting more national attention as an NBA player than any player in Grizzlies franchise history and again like he looks like what a 20 year old future star is supposed to to look at it's, a, it's an incredible story Man, 2019 has been a lot of fun, and few players or people on the college level made it more so than John Morant. Um, I've mentioned it on the podcast once or twice before, but I spoke with Murray State coach Matt McMahon when I built out the 1-353 to going into the 2018-2019 season uh, just to get a re- his read on the league, You know how good were they going to be, and I remember this season prior to so Jaws freshman season when I would build out the Frosh watch, he was always near that like 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 mark. Like he was, uh, in fact, I think, I think a lot of the sites actually had him listed as 
Demetrius Morant at first. It wasn't even known, like him being Jaw was not even uh, a thing on on those uh, on those services when I would go and check his latest stat line. And McMahon would and McMahon said, "Listen, um, right now he's got a he's got a shot to go in the in the in the second round. I'm telling you." He is a guaranteed first rounder, and you know a lot of coaches will say that about their guys, understandably so. But Mac McMahon knew what he had, didn't know he had the number two overall pick, um, but an awesome, awesome season. Um, on January 10th, he put up a dunk against UT Martin that it that could only be topped by the dunk he almost had. On Kevin Love, like three Ooh. nights ago, as we record this podcast, which is honestly the ambition of that. If you haven't seen it, just type in John Morant missed dunk Kevin Love. It's going to come up. It's it. I don't feel like this is hyperbole. It would in in terms of in game dunk. Vince Carter has the all time goat on Frederick Vice in two thousand. John Morant would have had a top five in in game dunk in NBA history. And by the way, I know the Carter one wasn't in an NBA game, but. Um, I know you saw it. It's just like for a for a rookie to be doing that, Parrish. Come on. No, he's wired that way. Like he's tried that before. Like he got Aaron Baines a couple weeks ago. Just like he he wants. He's 170 pounds and he's trying to dunk over centers and power forwards <laughs> consistently. And I don't know if you saw his quote after the game. It was great. It, it's a it's a glimpse into his mindset. Somebody asked him like. So you really tried to dunk on Kevin Love. Like, what goes into you deciding? Like, why did you try to dunk on, on Kevin Love in that moment, in that way? And Josh said, he was in the way. That's, he was in the way. Like, I'm trying to get to the rim. That guy's oh in the way. Gosh. And it's but, not just that. Like, it's it's like eight feet from the hoop, teabagging Kevin Love dunk attempt <laughs> yeah. in the middle of the now, lane. Now, the fear is that. He's again 170 pounds. Yeah. You keep trying that over and over again. You're going to get bumped and land awkwardly. Yes. And then what happens? So there is some of that. You need to weigh risk reward. But I kind of like reward. <laughs> if reward is is one amazing dunk and dunk attempt after another. So yeah, man, the John Morant story is is I, wild. Uh, yeah. You you wrote you wrote about it. Mm -hmm. You know where how Murray State found him. Right. The whole thing from from that moment where he's in an auxiliary gym in South Carolina to he's right now two days before Christmas the far and away leader to be NBA Rookie of the Year. It, just everything that happened in between is incredible. Yes, and he had, and I was also yeah I, I wrote the because uh, it became it became like lore that oh my God John Morant and Zion Williamson were on the same uh, AAU team and yes they were. But neither of those guys then obviously were what they are now. But um, yeah, if you're in, if you're interested in that, just Google that my name. It'll it'll pop up. I did that. And then also, um, I was on hand when Marquette was the five seed, Murray State was the twelve seed, and Hartford. John Morant had uh, one of only a handful of triple doubles in NCAA tournament history: seventeen points, sixteen dimes, eleven boards, including. Uh, yet another uh, a facial type dunk. I, I mentioned it was the January 10th game against UT Martin where he like went super viral. I mean, he had a couple of awesome dunks, but the UT Martin one was uh, like a basically like a, a teabag uh, successful one, and that's where kind of like okay, here we go. That jump started John Morant into like top five potential, and then um, John Morant won the first day of the NCAA tournament. Marquette was the 12 over five. They won by like 22 points against Marquette. Um, after that game, no, it was after the the loss. I wound up following him to the stands. He took off, he took off his shoes. He signed him. He gave him to a kid. That became like 
mega viral as he like you know he finishes his college career or whatever everyone know he was done and um it wound up being uh oh who is it oh paris i'm blanking on it it was the former purdue player because he was sitting uh who's the purdue guy it was like his nephew or something like that it's gonna drive me it's going to drive me up a wall right now listeners know exactly what i'm talking about you don't remember this Mm -mm. yeah I'll, i'll think of it when we're getting to the next one but anyway yeah the year of the year of jaw in many respects, and uh, Murray State, by the way, you know, um, ha- campaign Isaiah Cannon, John Morant, it's become quite the program for turning point guards into real NBA prospects, and Jaw's uh, Jaw's the best of them. Uh, if you got if you got nothing else, I'll go on to number eight. Let's go to number All eight. All right, number eight. We'll be pretty quick with this because it's been a theme on the podcast of late. But uh, at this point, there have been two storylines that have dominated, you know for more than a day or two or three in college basketball for 2019-2020. And so this one comes in at number eight. Um, and it is kind of the upside-down nature of this season. Uh, as we record this here on mo- late Monday night, Gonzaga, as expected, takes over the number one ranking in the AP Top 25. That makes six different teams in the first eight weeks of the season to hold that number one ranking. The all-time record for different programs is seven. And I, we're probably going to get to seven, although Gonzaga might wind up holding this for three, five, seven weeks. We'll see. Um, but it's not just that. Um, I, have a, I have a bit on this that will go up in the court report. It actually will publish on Wednesday, but I'm almost finished writing it here. Last week, there was not an undefeated team in the top 10 of the AP Top 25, and we are a week out from Christmas. Now, this week there is because Auburn finally bumped up, but last week there was not. Every single team, 1-10 to 10 in the AP Top 25, had at least one loss to it. That had never happened in the past 40-plus years of the AP poll that there wasn't at least one team with a bagel in November or December. So, as Parrish has mentioned, with the efficiency margins being uh, low to the point where if the season ended today, it'd be the, it'd be the lowest ever for an efficiency margin in the Ken Palm era, to the number one ranking changing six times in eight weeks, and the fact that we had never had a top ten without at least one undefeated team, basically ever. I mean, if you go back to the 60s, 70s, and 50s, teams didn't even start their seasons until after Thanksgiving, and... There will always be a handful of teams that would be able to get to New Year's without a loss. So I think this season literally was unprecedented. It just gives light to that we have a, you know, a topsy-turvy, relatively weak college basketball season so far. But since that has been an unavoidable talking point storyline, almost to the point of fatigue, nonetheless, to me, it is, it is a top 10 notable thing in 2019 in the sport. Yeah, I'll, I'll be quick on this because we've talked about it so much um, in, in recent podcasts. But, like, I was on... Uh, ESPNU radio with our friend Nicole Arbach uh, earlier today and um, I was asked you know uh, you know why do the number one teams keep losing and, and it's because they're not that good I mean they're, they're 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 and people confuse this sometimes when I say they're not that good I don't mean they're undeserving of the ranking like basically every team that's been ranked number one this season has reasonably deserved it I would quibble a bit you know today with Gonzaga over Ohio State but what what I'd quibble for a second. It's perfectly reasonable to have the Zags number one, even if I have Ohio State uh, number one. So they're all deserving of being at the top of the rankings. They're just not as good as typical number one ranked teams. And evidence of that is if you were to take Ohio State's adjusted efficiency margin of 27.60 that, that, they, that Ohio State has right now, it's number one in the nation, inserted into last season, it would rank seventh. So the team that I think is number one in the country right now 
would really um, only be the seventh best team in the country last season. And let me see what that would mean for Gonzaga. Gonzaga's uh, adjusted efficiency margin right now is 24.02. So that's the number one team in the AP poll and the coaches poll. And 24.02 would have ranked 14th in the country last season. Yeah, so so if the Zags are really the best team in the country right now, their adjusted efficiency margin would have ranked 14th in in the country last season. So that tells you the bar is just a little lower for for top-ranked teams this season, and and that is the easiest and best explanation for why they they keep losing. Let's go to number seven. John Beeline leaves Michigan to coach the Cleveland Cavaliers. As of this moment, he's 8-21 in the NBA, and so people have said, ah, this is why he shouldn't have jumped. But to me, regardless of what his record is right now, and, and he's also had some – it was a big story in, I believe, The Athletic a few weeks ago where um, his way of doing things, very college way of doing things, wasn't working so well uh, with NBA players. Um, you know, The truth is he's 66 years old, and I think he, had, he got grown kind of tired of not college basketball – like the sport, but everything goes with being everything that goes with being a college basketball coach, the recruiting, the losing underclassmen early, even when they're they're not even going to be drafted. Like we've talked about before, if every everybody on Michigan's team last season was eligible to return to school and they would have been preseason number one national title favorites if everybody would have. But they didn't. Three players declared for the NBA draft early and none of them were top 25 picks. Jordan Poole went 28th. Iggy Brasdakis went 47. Charles Matthews went undrafted. So I think when you're John Beeline and you're just like, you're tired of recruiting, you're tired of stuff that goes on in recruiting, you're tired of losing underclassmen, it's hard to hold a team together, you go, okay, I'm 66 years old, I can get a raise, a guaranteed five-year contract, go coach in the NBA, where really, all you got to do is just coach basketball. You don't have to speak to booster clubs, you don't have to play golf with boosters, you don't have to uh, go to Peach Jam, you don't have to text AAU coaches or 16-year-olds. You just got to coach your basketball team. And if it works, great. And if not, you took your shot, and now you can retire with your riches. I still, at this moment, believe it was the sensible thing for him to do. This happened on May 13th. Adrian Wojnarowski, of course, broke the news, uh, being that it uh, was, you know, it affected both sports, but, you know, NBA transactions, so to speak. And I was stunned, <laughs> downright stunned by this, um, given what he had coming back and just – this was kept uh, very quiet, and you know, kind of go, going hand in hand with this. By the way, is Beeline leaves um, at Michigan when in the past half decade it's operating like a top five program in the sport. Really, if you want to extend that back to when it, he made the title game and lost against Louisville, call it the past six years, seven years, uh, top five program in the sport overall. And then Juwan Howard, uh, he makes his return to college basketball. And now, of course, is in his first season on the bench in college ever. And uh, he's doing pretty nicely for himself overall. But as we were building out this list, I thought, all right, you know, what what head coaching hires, if any, would really qualify? And this is the only one. While there are other ones that are going to prove to be successful and other ones that made nice headlines, and I know Nebraska's really down at the moment, but maybe we look up in two, three years and Fred Hoiberg does turn it around and he's got them rolling. We'll see. You know, Tom Crean at Georgia, we'll see. Mick Cronin at UCLA, we'll see. The only one that really made the kind of noise um, that would qualify for a list like this was 
Beeline leaving and that opening the door for Juwan Howard to come and get that job. Uh, those who might remember when that was unfolding, there was um, certainly some noise about Ed Cooley going to Michigan, and now you see what Providence hasn't done this season. That's uh, that's obviously been interesting. And Luke Yoklich, who was um, the number two assistant but was the defensive coordinator for Beeline, he, eff- he effectively finished second to this job uh, for Howard. So a major, major transaction. Uh, while college coaches taking NBA jobs, obviously not crazy uncommon, college coaches north of the age of 60 doing it, and college coaches who have an exclusive history of coaching um, in the college ranks for the most part. Beeline did do some USA basketball stuff, I understand that, but he had no experience in the NBA world. To me, as surprising as almost anything else that we're going to talk about here, and we wait to see if that's going to work or if he bails after this season or next, that is Beeline, and says, I want to go back. I'm, I'm not convinced that'll happen, but if, if Cleveland like really goes sideways, you know, he will have his pick of the litter at, at any job should he choose to want to return to college basketball. Not that he necessarily would, as you mentioned, 66, he'll be 67 come February, and so we wait and see. But the Juwan Howard stuff, off to a good start there in Ann Arbor. Let's go to number six. Okay, number six on the list. What is kind of a big one. There's no one date attached to it, and it's uh, it's the federal trials from April. They were late April, and then all of the fallout that came from that. So um, this we we must have done four, three or four podcasts on this kind of stuff. This w- this was when you had the videos of assistants at the Cosmo in the middle of the day when coaches should be out watching games and recruiting prospects and one after another are shown uh, talking with undercover agents, obviously unbeknownst to them. It's also where we got video of Book Richardson and Lamont Evans um, in different venues, in different states, traveling across state lines to accept thousands of dollars in bribes. And you have Book Richardson bragging on video and bragging on wiretap about all the things that he can do to sway players to get them to sign with Christian Dawkins' uh, sports management agency, which unbeknownst to Dawkins at the time was being funded by the federal government in this sting operation. When you really step back about, you know, 350 paces and look at the scope of this thing, it still kind of wows me overall that the federal government got involved in the begin with. And then that, like all of this happened. Um, but April was not a good month for the University of Kansas, uh, the University of Arizona, a lot of schools. But in particular, you had Book Richardson throwing Sean Miller under the bus when he would talk with Christian Dawkins. How much is true, how much isn't, remains to, I guess, be seen. <laughs> I mean, it's not going to, barring leaks that I can't foresee happening, uh, I don't expect anything else to come out. But you had Book Richardson uh, claiming that Sean Ayton, uh, Sean Ayton, <laughs> Sean Miller was the run, uh, running DeAndre Ayton's uh, recruitment and, and, you know, speaking in no uncertain terms that he was fronting payments for that. Uh, in addition to Raleigh Alkins' situation, you had um, you had T.J. Gasnola in previous trials bringing up Kansas and uh, Zion Williamson yet again, uh, his recruitment uh, to Kansas, roping in Adidas' influence, Curtis Townsend, the assistant, and what, you know, what that entailed, how he was willing to do what needed to be done to get Zion Williams into Kansas, all this stuff. I mean, this is one This is one big old thing. Kansas getting the notice of allegations in September, ties to the federal trial. So um, not on the court, obviously, Parrish, uh, but, you know, a very 
noteworthy historic thing that ends with Book Richardson Lamont Evans pleading guilty, getting sentenced to months in federal prison, and nobody caught up in any of this, even though they all knew they were cheating, could have ever possibly imagined that they were being under surveillance, that they were under surveillance from the federal government and that they would one day wind up in cuffs, you know, behind bars, FBI coming to their door at like 5.55 in the morning, just everything with that. We've talked about it a lot. Uh, you know, I'm trying to wrap it up in kind of one, uh, one big comment, but uh, undeniably that is one of the biggest things to happen in college basketball this season, the second of the two major federal trials. Big thing, sure, and yet I still think kind of uh – I don't want to say disappointing. It suggests I'm disappointed more people didn't go to jail. Right. But like, like, I'll just go back to the day they announced the initial arrest. And they were like, we've got your playbook. If you you better turn yourself in. You'd rather it go down that way than, than us come find you. And we sit here on December 23rd, 2019. Only one head coach ever lost his job. And he wasn't even charged with a crime. Nobody who worked with him. Was, or for him was charged with a crime. Um, no head coaches got char- you know got charged with crimes. Uh, it, like it, they really overpromised and underdelivered. You know, Sean Miller is still the coach at Arizona. Will Wade's still the coach at LSU. Bill Self is still the coach at Kansas. Uh, Duke is not facing some sort of major infractions case because of all of the smoke around Zion Williamson's amateurism. Um, it, it just it, like it. It really didn't amount to much. A bunch of people most people don't know or don't care about got in some real legal trouble. And 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 to this point, that's about it. Now, I know that there has been a, a notice of allegation sent to NC State, and we're expecting Kansas to get one and Auburn to get one. But as of two days before Christmas 2019, um, there was a whole – we spent way more words talking about this than, than – um, you know, for it to lead to at least to this point, so so very little. You're right. There were other uh, no head. No, you said head coaches, which is correct. We did have other assistants, and um, and has been pointed out and commented on plenty. Uh, all black assistants. Uh, Steve Smith was caught on camera um, at the Cosmo. Uh, explaining how he pretended not to know how to get to Zion Williamson's house, even though he had gone there, which was against the rules. He was fired from Clemson shortly thereafter. Again, this was not Steve Smith on the stand. This was video played in court, and that led to that. Um, Preston Murphy, who was at Creighton, um, whether he was technically fired or not, uh, you know, I think he was allowed to, in effect, resign. But he had been on leave for like seven, eight months, and then he. His post recently was officially vacated uh, a few weeks ago. You had him, um, you know, assistant at TCU, uh, lost his job. So we did have others lose their jobs. But from the head coaching perspective, you're absolutely right. And now, you know, we wait to see how much of the stuff that happened at that April trial and then the October 2018 trial um, winds up playing consequential portions to whatever punishments wind up getting handed out against the head coaches and their programs. That will be stuff, obviously, of significant note that will come down, I'm like 99% sure of this, in 2020. I agree, but like we had a senior NCAA official on the record saying all this stuff's coming before the end of July, did he say? Uh, no, he said that he said by the end of the summer, we would have at least four 
and we only had two. We had NC State, which broke when I believe we were at Peach Jam, and then Kansas broke, like, right, literally, like, right before summer technically turned to fall, and that, that had been it to that point. Now, we have had Oklahoma State uh, has been served with an NOA, and USC as well. Um, some believe there's another private school that also has gotten one and just hasn't had to release it yet. I don't know about that, so to speak. So we have had more, but the big ones we, we still wait on. But you're right. An NCAA official went on the record to our Dennis Dodd and said at least two big boys are going to be hit here. And by the end of the summer, that definitely did not happen. Well, let's go to number five. Um, and we uh, labeled that the James Wiseman saga because it has been quite a saga. Uh, number one player in America headlines the number one recruiting class in America at Memphis. He enrolled. This all happened in 2019. He, everything I'm about to say. He enrolled at Memphis. The NCAA tells Memphis he has eligibility problems, but Memphis decides to play him anyway. He plays three games and creates the highest player efficiency rating in college basketball. Files a lawsuit. Then he drops the lawsuit. Then he's ruled ineligible by Memphis and subsequently suspended 12 games by the NCAA. He serves the majority of that suspension, then quits the team and becomes, far as I know, the first healthy college player to quit his team midseason because of the NBA draft. And now the Tigers are planning to play the remaining of this season uh, without him. And he's planning to sit back and hope that he's a top three pick in the 2020 NBA draft, even if there are some questions about why he keeps quitting things because he quit USA basketball once upon a time as well. Yeah, this is the only other one um, specifically from this season that makes our top 10 list because while there have been great flares of stories, Evansville winning at number one Kentucky, and that followed, you know, two weeks later by Stephen Evansville is a 24 and a half point underdog, and then Stephen F. Austin is a 27 and a half point underdog winning at Duke and ending that non conference swing streak and really giving us statistically one of the greatest, if not the greatest, regular season upsets in college basketball history. Big stories, you know. To help define 2019, but only the topsy-turvy nature of college basketball, its unpredictability, and the unending, and maybe it's ended, hell, maybe it hasn't ended, Parrish, the James Wiseman saga, um, these are, you know, stories that have had 27 legs, you know, and, and the Wiseman stuff, um, man, what a journey, because when you really go back to when he commits in 2018, uh, I think it was November 2018, in doing that, he helps... Memphis secured the best recruiting class since Cal was there, number one in the nation. He's the centerpiece to it. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, the Hardaway hire was huge, but it was getting Wiseman in addition to all the other really good to great players that surround him, most of whom are, well, all of whom are still on the roster, most of whom are still available right now, that, you know, it's going to set up just an incredible season here. Hardaway's second season, Wiseman's only in college. And no matter what happens from here on out, whether Memphis winds up as a 10 seed, a 5 seed, a 2 seed, loses in the first round, the final four, the title game, or wins it all, no matter what happens, um, James Wiseman's college career, in my mind, really becomes one of the biggest what-ifs of the past 10 to 20 years, only because chances are high he'll be the number one pick, and... There's no parallel to that. You know, I understand, you know, Michael Porter Jr., he slipped in the draft, and Missouri was not going to be as good as Memphis now looks to be. Um, we just haven't had something like this. And so, 
you can't help but think that no matter where Memphis Seasons ends, unless it is with a championship, and that obviously seems highly unlikely given how many freshmen are on this team, no matter how good they are, there will be just like this, man, what if he was on our team? What could we have done then if he had come back? Um, or who knows? Maybe it'll... <laughs> Maybe I'm jinxing the whole thing and James Wiseman somehow returns to college basketball, which would actually be like the most absurd thing ever. Um, but you, you get the point I'm making here. It's just been uh, it's been wild, something that no one could have possibly foreseen, highlighted literally by Wiseman and his attorney in a courthouse like 55 minutes before he was supposed to tip and play against Illinois Chicago. And then, boom, wouldn't you know it, he wound up playing that game regardless that very night. I wouldn't rule anything out just because how could you possibly with james wiseman it's all it's all been all over the place i wouldn't rule anything out until he officially signs with an agent you know and, and trust me as soon as he signs paperwork with an agent like that will be tweeted by the nba insiders within seconds because the agent's going to want it out there right um, as quickly as possible so the fact that you ain't read one of those tweets yet suggests to me he has not signed actually signed with an agent yet so like just again, that would be that would just be the perfect, I don't know about ending, but perfect next step in this. If he just said, you know what, I know I said on Instagram last Thursday that I'm <laughs> dipping out on Memphis, but uh, I'm back, baby. <laughs> if he does it, I hope he doesn't I do it. I do, till, baby. Yeah, whatever the quiet thing is. I hope he doesn't do it till it's uh, time to be on radio next uh, in the beginning of 2020. To 2020, I wouldn't want to uh, ruin that content in in a over right. the Christmas holidays. I agree. But, um, yeah, just a just a wild story. And, again, like I said on the previous podcast, it, the young man has a right to, to make his own decision. Um, the part I don't like about this is I don't believe he's making his own decision. I, I don't think this is what James Wiseman wanted to do if left alone. Man. This is a guy who was um, – you know, he, he could have decided to for, like we talked about. He's like now it's like I need to prepare for the NBA draft because I'm a locked top, you know, two pick. Well, you were a locked top two pick six months ago, eight months ago. Like people have been talking about him the same way for years now. So he could have taken this path from the outset, but he wanted to play college basketball. He re actively recruited some of these other players to play college basketball, specifically Precious Achua who said he was blindsided by this um, decision. He's like, listen, one of the things that was important to me when I picked the school was I wanted to play with another five-star prospect and have a chance to win a national championship. Well, James Wiseman was that guy. And he would constantly text me, call me. You got to come to Memphis. Go Tigers, go. Go Tigers, go. You got to come to Memphis. And now he's just out and I'm still here. Like, I can't leave. This is my – and I wouldn't leave. This is my family. These are my brothers. But for him to, to dip the way he dipped, he, those players were were hurt by that. Uh, they felt misled by that. And I don't think it was James's decision. I think if you just left him alone, he would have been playing college basketball again on January 12th. Um, I, I think there were other influences involved that, that pushed him in this direction. And so I guess I'll take him at his word for now that he's done with college basketball. But until he actually signs with an agent, I guess anything is uh, – I guess anything's possible. Okay. Let's go to number four. Yeah, number four is uh, an event that uh, figures to have historical consequence on college athletics on the whole, and that is Governor Gavin Newsom signing into action Senate Bill 206 in the state of California. That was official on September 30th, but the uh, 
the crescendo to that date really existed for the, all the, the entire month of September. Uh, credit to California State Senator Nancy Skinner. Uh, her... Uh, her push to make this happen, and she came to know a lot of the stuff through uh, what happened in the Ed O'Bannon case. Um, that really got the ball rolling here. Um, and with Senate Bill 206, it pushed, f like, it was a national news story for consecutive nights. Like, in the first, because uh, I know, because I watch CBS News, and it would be in the first block before they went to commercial, talking about this kind of issue there. Um, that's serious impact. We will eventually have some sort of name, image, and likeness um, legislation that, you know, if the NCAA, it's going to happen. I'd be stunned if it doesn't happen this way. The NCAA is going to work with Congress to get it done. What that is and whether it satisfies what many want, that's a discussion for another time. One of the most uh, seismic, important, biggest stories in 2019 in college basketball, and this obviously expands beyond, well beyond college basketball, is Senate Bill 206 coming into action, triggering then uh, at least 10 other states, maybe even as many as 12, uh, to pursue further action, which then leads us to you know, Mitt Romney talking about getting this done on a congressional level and Mark Emmert making multiple trips to Washington, D.C. to get this done and um, bringing more empowerment and just fundamental rights to college athletes there. Um, that bill won't take effect until 2023. Something on a federal level will likely uh, supersede it to, to some extent, GP, I would guess. But no denying it. Um, to me, the biggest story of the offseason in college basketball. Uh no question. And I do think it belongs, you know, when I was trying to rank my own list in, you know, of the top 10 things, I, I thought this had to go in the top five because it really could end amateurism as we know it. It, it led to additional legislation in other states, put real pressure on the NCAA. And so it's going to be fascinating when we get to the date where this law actually goes into effect to see who blinks first. Because the NCAA has suggested it might really consider banning UCLA, USC, California-based schools whose student-athletes um, accept compensation for their name, image, and likeness rights. Uh, you know, it might ban them from from postseason play, from championship uh, competition. Um, you know, and, and and California lawmakers have basically said, "We dare you, try it, and we'll see you in court." Yeah. And so. You know, as we sit here right now, the topic has sort of died down because the, any change isn't coming for a little while, and we're all just sort of immersed in the games. But eventually, this is going to be the biggest deal in college athletics once again. The thing people are talking about every single day, and the idea that it got rolling um, in the year 2019 is is absolutely one of the biggest stories in 2019. Yeah, and who could forever get who who among us could ever forget? Gavin Newsom going on LeBron James's The Shop to make it official of all things there. Just not how I expected that to, to, to go. I didn't know what I expect. Like a press conference in Sacramento where he like signs it as a photo op. But uh, but regardless, um, we'll see. I, I, I tend to believe that before we get to 2023, um, I have to believe that certain ratifications will be made. But again, that's a discussion for another time. Um, I, I was happy to see it happen, and other states are going to continue to push through, and we will uh, we'll wait and see. I don't have the story in front of me, Parrish. In fact, I've been kind of you know busy doing uh, just some work today, and you know 
doctors and all that stuff. But I did see, I don't know if you saw it or not, but the NCAA took like another major financial hit. Uh, a judge ordered him to pay like tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, in some other case that was uh, tangentially uh, tied to this sort of matter there. So just the latest example, you know, the NCAA doesn't want to be paying all this money and all these le legal fees and bills and losing on lawsuits. Why not just step into the modern era? Uh, we'll wait and see to what extent it's willing to do that um, and what Congress is willing to, to push along as well. Well, I, I promise you, if the lawsuits are just hundreds of thousands of dollars, they'll be happy to lose those if they can keep the the, the uh, structure of amateurism in place. Like they've been doing that for years. Like we'll we'll take this loss in court, but still, you know, yeah. you know, any sort of uh, accountant can sit down with you and say, you know what? If you can keep your structure in place, losing a twenty million dollar lawsuit ain't that big of a deal. You're a billion dollar entity, so. I think they're willing to lose lawsuits as long as it's as long if you told them forever you're going to keep losing in court but you'll be able to keep your your the structure of amateurism in place that's fine with them and so what is interesting about SBO 206 is it goes right at the heart of that you're saying student athletes can't accept things we're about to make a law that says that they can now figure it out and so it'll be fascinating when we get there and I do think it'll ultimately be resolved in court. I cannot imagine the NCAA willingly giving up the power uh, that it has because of the concept of amateurism. So uh, a lot of lawyers are going to make a, a lot of money. That's the only sure thing. A lot of lawyers are going to make a lot of money. Let's go to number three. Texas Tech snaps Kansas' streak of Big 12 titles, then advances to the national title game. Uh, what an amazing story. So first things first. The Texas Tech and Kansas State. I should give credit to Kansas State. They were also responsible for this. Uh, both teams went 14 and four in the Big 12. Kansas uh, went 12 and six, and so it was uh, the first time KU hadn't won uh, at least a share of the Big 12 title since. Do you even know the date still? I used to say it so often that I did, well, I had to do it by heart. It would have been 2003, right? I'm asking. That. No, That's no, why two, I, well, oh, so no, wait, uh, 2000. Five, sorry, 2003 would have been Roy Williams' this last year. So 04 into 05. I'm just vamping off the top of my head here. But, yeah, I think that's got to be it. Do the math. It's 18. Dial it on back. 05 would have been the last time that didn't do it, I believe. They did do it in 05, though. They went 12-4 and four in the league. And they won the league? Yes. So 04. So it was Self's first season? 04, they went 12-4 and four in the league. Oklahoma State went 14-2. and two. 04 was indeed Bill Self's first season. Okay, so there you go. Okay, so that's the first part of the big Texas Tech story. They played a role in breaking Kansas's long string of, of Big 12 titles, which I believe um, will be the longest Power 5 type, uh, 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 string that, that maybe we see uh, forever. So then they get into the NCAA tournament. Now keep in mind, this is a team that wasn't ranked in the preseason AP poll, that had lost a top 16 pick in Zaire Smith, and they still make it to the national championship game um, at Texas Tech. Like there's this quote from Chris Beard, I guess after the Elite Eight win, where he said, Texas Tech is going to the final four. And it was like, it wasn't like we're going to the final four. It was like, can you believe Texas Tech is going to the final four? Because two years prior, the school had never been to an Elite Eight. And then Chris takes them to their first Elite Eight, and then he loses good pieces from that team. And comes back and takes the school to its second Elite Eight, to its first Final Four, to its first championship game, 
and they were in overtime of a national championship game. By definition, they had a chance to win it. It's not like they got to the championship game and then lost by 13. Like they were in an overtime game. They could reasonably have won a national championship. Instead, they finished second. But my God, if you would have asked me as recently as three years ago, do you think you'll ever see Texas Tech playing a national championship game in men's basketball? I would have bet almost everything I have. Uh, there's just not a good chance of that at all. It's like saying right now, like, could you see? Could you? How about, see, could you see? Could you see Kansas playing in a football championship game? Something, yeah, something along. Basically, yeah. I mean, maybe Texas Tech a little more, uh, but like, like you know, something like, um, dude, Mississippi State playing in the national title game in men's basketball. Like, there's no way you can envision that happening. No shot. And yet... Oh, well, Mississippi State's got way better history than, than Texas Tech. And on its, you know, not taking into account if you're from Texas or the, the paycheck that you're earning, but just like, if we're ranking jobs, Mississippi State is a better men's basketball job than Texas Tech, historically speaking. Maybe not right now, but before Chris Beer got there, it was true. You're right. It's And by the way... It, it feels like Chris Beard has been just chugging along for a decade plus. This is only his fifth season as a Division One coach. 30-5 and five at Little Rock, then goes to Tech. 18 wins, 27 wins in Elite Eight as a three seed. Last season, 31 wins, loser in the national title game to Virginia. It's, uh, it's stunning, man. I, I, I caught myself thinking exactly what we're hitting on here multiple times while in Minneapolis, like, Freaking Chris Beard and Texas Tech are in the Final Four, and then they're in the national championship game. Credit to him. A very fun team to uh, to watch. He, obviously, that he and that staff, um, just terrific, great to deal with. And, yeah, this was uh, no small thing. And just, I'm glad we wound up putting this, this high on the list because um, Texas Tech and Kansas State jointly ending Kansas' streak, that's – you and I will live and die, and we are not going to see this happen again. There's not going to be a team in a power conference go 10 straight years, let alone 14, finishing atop its regular season that many seasons in a row. You know, maybe Gonzaga or someone you know similar to that comes along and in a smaller league maybe pulls it off. Even Gonzaga hasn't been able to do it, and it's been as dominant as just about any program pre-NCAA tournament over the past 20 years. Uh, what Kansas did is absurd. It's one of the most impressive. I, I do not say this lightly. Team, individual, however you want to define it. What Kansas did to win 14 straight regular season titles in this era, it's one of the most impressive streaks in American sports history. I don't think that Bill Self will be able to do more than maybe five or six in a row ever again, and even that would be incredible. So kudos to Kansas. It had to have ended at some point, and, uh, and here we go. Beard, Kansas State, they all did it. Impressive stuff. One of the best stories of college basketball in 2019. Oh, I would bet against him doing a streak of five or more again. I mean, it's like because he did 14, we go, well, surely he could do five again. But like that's hard to do. I looked it up once upon a time. I'll try to do it again real quickly. But like Mike Krzyzewski is considered the GOAT of college basketball coaching. The most ACC titles he's ever won or shared in a row is five. Thought you were going to trivia time me there. I was going to go three. I think the way that you were setting that up, that's actually five is more than I even expected. Trivia time then. Okay. When's the last time he won it? At least a share of the ACC championship regular season. 
20... And don't tweet me, you nerdy okay, ACC. Okay, I know. Yeah, everyone knows. Do I know. Not, you kill him on this six times a year. Tweet me, you nerdy ACC fans, and say, okay. well, you know, Parrish, there is no such thing as an ACC regular season championship. Shut up. Nobody nobody cares My about guess that. is 2010. Uh, yeah, 2010. It is 2010. He hasn't okay. won one since 2010. But the most he ever won in a row is five, and Bill Self won 14. So I, I've said before, yeah, I could envision Mark Few – at Gonzaga or Tommy Lloyd at Gonzaga someday doing it. John Calipari, if he would have stayed at Memphis and Memphis would have stayed in CUSA, I would have could have easily seen doing it considering he like went to win a stretch where he never even lost a league game. But in a power conference, I just think there's always going to be too many other good programs, you know, no matter who you are. If you're Kentucky and the best program in the SEC, that's fine, but there's other great programs in the SEC. If you are Duke and you're the best program in the ACC, that's fine. But there's other great programs in the ACC. Same thing with Kansas. Now you've got Texas Tech there. You've got Texas there. You got Baylor there. I, I can't imagine even ever doing 14 in a row again. I can't imagine. I'd, I'd be surprised if they do five in a row um, under Bill Self again. And that doesn't say anything about Bill Self. It says everything about the rest of the league and how amazing that 14-year string was. I agree with you. I don't think we'll ever see it done at the Power 5 level again. And so that brings us to number two, which could be number one, um, but uh, we're going to go wide scope here. There is a specific incident that I think can be labeled as like the biggest event, news story, triggered the most discussion, billions of words spent on this, enough takes to... Send mankind into galaxies we don't even know yet, and that is, uh, this was the year of Zion Williamson, and most specifically, Zion Williamson busting his shoe open a minute into Duke's home game against North Carolina. Obviously, that is annually uh, one of, if not the most anticipated games in the regular season in the sport. And 2019, obviously, was the year of Zion Williamson. He was the most discussed, talked about, popular, buzzy, whatever term you want to use. NBA or college, I don't care. Zion Williamson captured the nation's attention. He became the most well-known, famous college basketball player in at least 30 years, and given our modern media landscape, you can make an easy argument that no player while in college, you know, in a one-year situation was more famous than Zion Williamson ever was because you throw in his social media following. There are podcasts now that was not the case when David Thompson and Patrick Ewing and Ralph Sampson and Wilt Chamberlain were playing, okay? Terry Teagle. Terry Teagle didn't even get close to this, although obviously he deserved it. There's no doubt about it. So um, many different areas we can kind of spiral off and spider off into with this. But the Carolina thing, uh, you know, erupted the should he stay, should he play, should he sit out stuff, which was um, obviously unexpected but overblown. And then he turned, uh, many people would say Zion Williamson turned Duke into a likable program. I still find that to be a little bit dubious because I saw plenty of joy when Zion Williamson was unable to get to the Final Four and losing as the number one overall seed to Michigan State in that regional final there. So... Um, that's me broadly laying it out, Paris. Take it where you want. Zion Williamson and he being the biggest thing, individual entity in college basketball in 2019. Virginia won the national championship. And I'm sure you figured it out by now. We'll get to that momentarily. But 
the year belonged to Zion Williamson. He was the story in college basketball. Just about from start to finish. You go back to um, opening night, Champions Classic um, at... Were we in the United Center? We were not. Uh, your memory put Indiana, Indianapolis. There we go. You do remember. <laughs> you do remember being at that one, though, do you? Yeah, I do remember. Okay. I remember everything about that. We went to St. Elmo. We did. Yes. And uh, and then and then Duke beat Kentucky, one eighteen to eighty four. Yeah. Technically in twenty eighteen, but yes. Okay, so that's the start of the season. I hear you. But it became, and then, and then they were in Maui. They lost to Gonzaga in the championship game, but Zion was still awesome. And by the time we get to January 2019, he is the biggest star in college basketball and arguably, arguably one of the most famous basketball players in the world at any level, which is hard for a college basketball player to do in this era. He averaged 22.6 points, 8.9 rebounds, shot 68% from the field, had a PER of 40.8, which led the nation. He was everybody's national player of the year. He became an identifiable one-name star. And, you know, think about the one-name stars in our country. Uh, Beyonce, Kanye, Kobe. Lizzo. Lizzo, definitely. Um, she was great on Saturday Night Live, by the way. Did you ever watch it? I did, yeah. That was uh, that was quality stuff. She was great, and the Eddie Murphy stuff lived up to the hype. Yeah, it was all, It was a fun – like I tweeted on – like Saturday night I got done with uh, riding and HQ and everything. I'm in Las Vegas. I'm at the Cosmopolitan, which is in, like my favorite place to be. There's a million things you can get into, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to sit here and watch Saturday Night Live, and that's exa- and I'm glad I did. Like I couldn't have, I would not have had any better 90 minutes doing anything in Las Vegas that I can imagine at least uh, that wouldn't get me in trouble at least <laughs> um, <laughs> than, than the 90 minutes I spent watching Eddie Murphy and Lizzo on uh, on Saturday Night Live. So yeah, Beyonce, Kanye, Lizzo, Kobe, LeBron. Steph, Zion. Don't Zion don't is, do not shun Oprah like that. Oprah, 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 share. Yeah, sure. Oprah, share. Madonna. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's there's quite a few of them, but Zion is one of them. You you if you if I say Kevin, you might go Kevin Hart, Kevin Durant. Like you could go a few different ways with that. When you say Zion, everybody knows it. Not only is it it's his name. I don't even know another Zion. Exactly. But like, but people know who that is. You, they, you don't. You don't have to go. Um, Zion. What does that person do for a living? Like most, um, I think most people have at least heard the name Zion, even if they're not a basketball fan. It would be hard to not have run across the name Zion Williamson over the past year or so. You're right, and it's. I've always. I've thought about that. Not always. I've thought about that a couple of times, where it's like uh, this. This. This kid, man, child. Of course, he's named Zion Williamson, you know, in the same way that LeBron James. Don't not many LeBrons out there. Kobe Bryant, you know, the the sports stars that wind up, you know, American-born ones that wind up being the single name. I always find it a little bit interesting how these distinct names uh, sometimes they just, uh, I guess they they emphasize how special the player is. All the same, if he was Greg Williamson, he'd still be awesome. But of course, he had to be named. Uh, he had to be named Zion. Uh, loved watching him. Uh, play play at Duke, and it, yeah, you know, listen, I, I feel like we're gonna get ten years, fifteen years from now, 
when you're in your 70s, I'm in my mid-50s, and we're going to be doing this podcast, and we're going to be able to recall back and and rightfully say that you know getting to cover Zion Williamson uh, – was a was a special thing. He didn't get to a Final Four. Didn't win a national championship. But we are not going to have a duplicate of him for a number of reasons. Obviously, you know, rule change with the NBA and all that kind of stuff. But we had never seen a player like him. Period. Before that size, that athletic ability. I hope he is able to play at some point this season in the NBA and go on to have a, a magnificent and terrific NBA career. But we did say after the season ended in the lead up to the NBA draft, it is very possible. That the you know the peak the apex mountain if you will of Zion Williamson was January to the end of March of 2019. Now he's going to be a, he's he should have a long NBA career, successful. Hopefully, do some dunk contests, make some All Star games. I get all that, but he was the center of the sports college basketball universe, whatever you want to say, in a way that will be hard for him. Not that he can't do it; he does have the potential to do it. But I would not be surprised if he does not get there, and that would be nothing against him. It just speaks to uh, his uniqueness and how we had never seen anything like him at the college level before. And he so, so exceeded on the hype, which at the start of his season, he was expected to be good. He was not expected to be great and certainly wasn't expected to be the supernova that he wound up becoming. He was maybe the third best NBA prospect on his team entering the season. Behind, He was behind... R.J. Barrett, according to everybody, right. and 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 also behind Cam Reddish, according to some, and yet that it became pretty clear pretty quickly, certainly by December first of 2018, that he was not only the best prospect on his team, he was the best prospect in the world, and you know as we sit here right now, it is unclear who our national player of the year is going to be, it is unclear who the number one pick in the NBA draft is going to be, um, but if you know. Um, on December 23rd, 2018, it was not unclear. Uh, barring injury, and even with injury, and some, perhaps Zion Williamson was going to be the National Player of the Year and Zion Williamson was going to be the number one pick in the draft. And now you just hope, honestly, that it's not a Greg Oden situation. I mean, here's the other thing about Zion in the year 2019. He had to be removed from basketball three different times because of a knee issue. You're right. Yes. We can keep talking about these are minor things. And they, I guess they are, but three different times he had to stop playing basketball. Carolina, the, G League, and then preseason of the NBA. Well, not not, not G, G League, sorry, summer league. Yeah, right. Um, it, 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 in the ACC schedule, he show, shoe explodes. He misses five games, but his shoe explodes in part because he's that big, moving that way. So it's it's connected to weight. You can dance around it all you want to. It is connected to him being 290 pounds or whatever he is. Uh, then, you know, summer league, like, ah, something's not right. Shut him down. He, By the way, when he played, even at that weight, he was awesome, dominated everybody. But still, eh, shut him down. Something's not right. And then preseason, shut him down. Something's not right. And he hasn't played yet. And it is interesting the way this works. Um. He would have, every franchise would have drafted him number one. And, and just like most franchises, I think, would have drafted Greg Oden over Kevin Durant, even though Kevin Durant was undeniably awesome. And I think probably most franchises would still, if we did the draft tonight, knowing everything we know, would still take him number one. But we talked about it on radio a couple of weeks ago. If I told you right now you could have John Morant, given everything you know, 
and everything you've seen, or Zion Williamson, given everything you know and everything you've seen, I think I'd probably still take Zion Williamson, but it is not crystal clear anymore because I am worried about Zion trying to have a healthy, an injury-free career at his weight. And I don't know if you've seen recent pictures of him, but he doesn't look like he's shedding any weight. And if you can't shed weight at 19, 20 years old, like good luck doing it, you know, when as you get older. It does not get easier. And all of those things are just major red flags that that uh, concern me. Uh, not in the ways that you you know I'm I'm concerned about my children being okay, but I would like to see Zion Williamson have the type of career his talent level suggests is possible, if not probable. And yet the the fear of of an injury plagued career tied at least in some way to to his to the size of his body is um is I think a real thing. Yeah, and uh, that will be, from an NBA perspective, obviously, one of the premier storylines as we flip from December into January 2019 into 2020. Will he even play when that when that will be? Because he's now uh, just nudged up on the initial six- to eight-week timeline. One more thing on 2019. Just I love the fact that he was charismatic. Uh, just He was the... He was the perfect ideal of what you'd want out of a out of a superstar in just about every way. I hadn't seen anyone like him before. Uh, you know, good quote, great interview, flashy smile. When he went down, he's like, "Why wouldn't I come back? I want to do this. I want to play here." Um, and even admittedly, um, and believe it to what extent you want, but said that he even struggled with the decision to leave college altogether and, and chase the pros because it was something that. Uh, that you know he really truly enjoyed, but obviously he was gonna go like uh, like any uh, sane human being would have expected him to. Okay, you teased it. People know what it is, but let's get into this here. The number one thing on our list: the Virginia Cavaliers winning the national championship. Gary. Yeah, I mean it's got to be number one, and it's not just Virginia winning the national championship because I guess if you're gonna make that the answer by default then every year the list gets top with whoever wins the national championship. But um, but th- this was Virginia winning the national championship a year after becoming the first number one seed to lose to a 16 seed. I mean, you, I mean that, that's incredible that they would be the first team to ever get upset in that way and then a year later be the last team playing cutting nets on that first Monday in, in April. Um, and, and, just an incredible basketball team. Like the only two teams beat them the entire season. And that was obviously Duke twice and Florida state. I remember that from a previous trivia time. They finished with an adjusted efficiency margin of plus 34.22. Again, right now the highest in the country is Ohio state's plus 27.70. So they were so far. I mean, they were, they were nearly two points better than everybody else in the country last season in an, from the adjusted efficiency margin perspective. But they would be nearly seven points better than anybody in, the, in this season right now. Just a, a really great basketball team that, that checked every box. What, what do we usually require from our national champions? Um, you, you need to have some experience. You need to have some pros. And you usually got to have a – a, a really good, if not great coach. Well, they got one of the greatest coaches. Um, they had experience. Ty Jerome's a junior. Cal Guy's a junior. DeAndre Hunter was a sophomore. Uh, Mamadi Diakite was a junior. Um, they, they had experience. They had pros, you know. 
I think what did they have three guys get picked? Yes. Three draft picks. And also, like, what do we require from our recent national champions? You need to to you need to shoot threes and you need to shoot them well. They shot 39.5% from three-point range. That ranked eighth in the country. They finished second in offensive efficiency, fifth in defensive efficiency. Just a for the second year in a row, we didn't get we we got the national champion that 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 we that that we deserved. The the best team doesn't always win the the tournament, but I do think at, at the very least, in the past two years, Villanova 2018 and. Virginia 2019, the best team in the country, actually won the national championship. Virginia was the uh, was the team that fell on the uh, – I don't want to put this. I can't remember how the day played out, but Virginia and Michigan were the two last undefeated teams last season. They both lost on Saturday, January 19th. I was uh, home. I want to say you were at Paris. Now, would you have been at that game? Were you at the Virginia-Duke game? I was you at were. one of them. Yeah, you were at you were at Cameron because I know I went to JPJ. I was at the one where Zion dunked on Jay Huff. Correct. So I was at the first one. You were at the second one. Yeah. So you were at the game when Virginia. So I don't know if technically Virginia was the last unbeaten or not, but regardless, you know, signs were there early that it lasted that long. And in fact, real quick, just to circle back on Zion before the shoe stuff, the Zion dunk on Jay Huff, and then Zion's unreal recovery block. I think that was on Hunter, but I can't remember. That was when LeBron James and Rich Paul were sitting at the opposite baseline. That was a whole big deal. That was, of course, uh, both those ended in Virginia losses. But how about this? The win is, in, uh, listen, it's just, it really is one of the all-time sports stories. And there have been some uh, unexpected and great championship stories in 2019. Toronto doing what it did thanks to Kawhi hitting that shot from the corner, the, the what the quadruple bounce to help him get to the finals and, and, and win a championship there. Um, that's just one of many. But to me, for as, you know, it has been, I mean, the Nationals winning the way it did, like, it's just crazy. You lose Bryce Harper and you go on to win the World Series. Like, just just awesome, awesome stuff there. Um, but, by the way, Bryce Harper was at the CBS Sports Classic. Well, there you go. Well, Vegas native. Did, did they show him on TV? I just saw they, him. I, I did not. See, if they did, I missed it. I mean, I yeah, watched I, a lot. I didn't know yeah. he was there until after uh, Kentucky, Ohio State. I was walking back to the media room, and there was this uh, guy walking maybe 10 feet in front of me, and a lot of people were like trying to get pictures. I was like, I wonder who that is. Oh, that's Bryce Harper. There you go. Good-looking man. Yeah, okay. St. Louis Blues winning the Cup in the NHL. Another amazing story. But college basketball, men's Division One, had the most satisfactory, unreal, just biggest, best championship story in American sports this season. And what's kind of wild about it, I know Virginia fans haven't forgotten this. Maybe, maybe college basketball fans have to a certain degree. Remember, when they had to play Gardner-Webb, the road to even win it is kind of wild because they were down 30-16 to 16 with less than seven minutes to go in the first half of that Gardner-Webb game. And they come back and they wind up winning comfortably. They beat them by like 15. But like you lose the previous season to the dreaded four-letter uh, school UMBC and then you're down big to Gardner-Webb they pull out then they Oklahoma was the only game the second round game where Virginia had no drama they win by 12 mostly fine I was at 
The Sweet 16 went over Oregon. It was ugly. It was only a four-point margin, but at no point in the final 10 minutes did I sense that Oregon was going to take that game and win. But still, a close game. Oregon, by the way, the only double-digit seed to make the Sweet 16 this season. That was a record. And then, of course, Elite Eight. Purdue, what I thought was the best game of the 2019 NCAA tournament, an 80-75 win in overtime. But before it could even get to overtime, you needed this to happen. Virginia fans, here you go. Jerome, short, back tap, Diakite, a race for it, into the hands of Clark, got a chance to win it here. Up the front, here's Diakite for the win. The for the win is unfortunate. It is, and that's uh, Brian Anderson, I believe, on the call there. <laughs> I know. Hold on. I want to replay this, though, because in, in real time when this happens, I don't know what to do with my hands, my body, my brain. It's just an unreal sequence. But listen to <laughs> the play-by-play announcer. Uh, not the play-by-play announcer. The, uh, the PA announcer in the building gets me here. Diakite! It's just kind of like looming over that. Just to me, Parrish, I can't give you a 1 to 10 list right now, although I'd love to spend five hours overthinking it and give you one. That is a top 10 play in NCAA tournament history. It's the frenzy off the miss. The, the fact that Virginia even gets in that position to tie it against Purdue is absurd. And then Kihei Clark, a freshman, makes the heads-up play to not try and rush up. There was a Virginia um, documentary that aired on ACC Network in the preseason, and you had, like, Jerome, Hunter, Kyle Guy all saying, if that was me, I'm absolutely trying to get it off from half court. Um, there's no there's no chance I'm looking for Diakite or anyone else in the, in the front court. And I think even Guy said I was so... Uh, angry in the in the split second that happened because I was wide open and he didn't even look at me. He goes straight for Diakite, the awareness for that, and it's just a beautiful sports highlight. Just a beautiful, beautiful sports highlight. And they get to the Final Four, first time for Tony Bennett. That is the night that Tony Bennett shoved me out of the way <laughs> so he could hug his father. I will never forget that moment, uh, and neither will they, but for very, very different reasons. And then just real quick to wrap this up, um, the Texas Tech game, which went to overtime, um, we haven't had many overtimes in national championship history. Uh, th- that is uh, – we don't have enough time in the podcast because I don't want to keep this going on for too much longer. But that game was – like, Virginia was involved in three of the six, seven best games in the tournament. Everyone forgets about the Auburn game. You had the Kyle guy fouled on the three-point attempt from the corner. Right. Like, Auburn should have won the game, but they get through that – they get past Texas Tech in overtime, and if you wa- I rewatched the final like six or seven minutes of that game recently because why the hell wouldn't I? And that's another one. When you're watching it, even though you know how it's going to end, you're like, no, Auburn should win this game. Texas Tech should win this game. Virginia very much had that team of destiny feel to them, and just credit to them because easily could have lost any of those three final games, pulled it out, needed two overtimes to do so, and they write one of the epic stories in college sports history. I will admit I forgot all about the Gardner-Webb situation. I mean, I remember it now because I was in studio and I'm like, we're all, you know, we're saying the same thing everybody else is saying. Like, like, come on. There is no way this is about to happen again. Because then, like, if that happens again, it had already kind of become oh. attached to the program. If it happens again, it's it's over with. Like, it, you, that, oh. that is, that's you until you win a national championship. It, like that, it wouldn't matter. The next season, Virginia is 
undefeated, ranked second in the country. Every time I tweet the top 25 and one, people go, ah, oh, the, the team you got number two is that's the team that always loses the 16 seeds, right? Yes. Like you would not be able to get away from it. So obviously they end up winning that game by 15 points, but I had forgotten they were down uh, significantly early. Um, the Purdue game was awesome. The Carson Edwards stuff was tremendous. Oh, I didn't even I mean, mention that. You're right. Yeah. yeah Riff I mean, on that, I mean, if you please, because that was just that was absurd. One of the best performances in a losing effort in tournament history. Yeah, and then like one of the like we we can debate best games, worst games, ugly games, pretty games. Like there's no debating what's fun, and that was the most fun. Like you can't have more fun watching a basket a college basketball game than that one, unless unless you're a Purdue fan because of how it ended. But honestly, even if you're a Purdue fan, like whoa boy, that was a lot of fun. You'd rather not lose it in overtime, but but that was a lot of fun. And then the Auburn game, I, I've already said Virginia was the best team in the country. The right team won the championship. Uh, this can also be true. They got lucky. Like I think even Tony would tell you that they did. Like they they got lucky, um, or else they lose. Um, in the final four and we get an Auburn Texas Tech <laughs> an Auburn Texas Tech <laughs> like they, that would make more sense as a college football championship uh, game than a college basketball championship game uh, they got lucky on the foul first and then we talked about it on the podcast after that game you go back to where Clark gets the ball like he's recovered the ball pause and I say what percentage chance do you think Virginia will score on this possession what do you think it is Honestly, in those circumstances, balls in the backcourt, you need a two to – it feels like 5% at best. Like how many teams in that moment would score? Your your point guard recovers the ball, boom, right there. There's this much time on the clock. Go score. I don't think almost anybody does. And, and you cannot overstate the composure – Clark showed in not shooting that ball because yeah. the Virginia players that you saw in that documentary, all they were doing is saying the same thing we were saying the day after the game or the night of the game, which is most people just shoot the ball. You don't think because if you don't look even, at the yeah, clock, exactly. And I forget. I do you remember how much time was on I'm the clock? I'm gonna tell you right now because I still got it. I still got it up. When he, do you want the the time when, when he, he recovers the ball? When he when when Clark's got the ball? I'm gonna tell you right now when Clark. So I'm playing on on a silent. When Clark gets the ball, there's there's 3.4. His lead foot is about at NBA three point range on the opposite side. So 3.4 seconds. But when he um, when he gathers himself and gets his dribble and turns his body fully back, it's at 2.4 seconds. And he still, I'm gonna say that's 60 feet from the hoop with 2.4 seconds to go. Okay. So here's here's my point. Clearly, it's possible to do what he did because he did it. But most people don't think it's possible to make a pass up the court and get a shot with that little time left. That ball travels pretty quickly from point A to point B. But when you look up and you see less than three seconds on the clock, you see a two. You, most basketball players' instincts are going to be, oh, God, I got to get a shot off. I mean, we saw Jaron Cumberland just last week. <laughs> Five seconds. He shot one with five seconds left because he's like, I got to get a shot. I don't know what he was doing, honestly. But the state of mind that freshman point guard showed, the composure he showed to know, okay, this ain't a lot of time, but it's enough time. It's not a lot of time, but it's enough time for me to get this ball 
where I need to get it so we can get a reasonable shot for the for the tie to try to send this thing to overtime. Um, that that to me is the play of the NCAA tournament. It is, and that is, I want to say, the best game I've ever covered. It was just one thing after another, um, uh, unreal performance. And um, I, I, you know, I'm going to spare listeners. I could talk for 10, 15 minutes about just what it was like to get to cover that game, experience that arena. Oh, just Purdue fans everywhere, highly, highly outnumbering Virginia fans. And then, yes, the the, the way that the Auburn game ended uh, with the foul and then Texas Tech even getting to overtime, DeAndre Hunter coming up big. What you had here was a lot of um, from DKT to Clark to guide the shots he hit, the free throws he hit, uh, Ty Jerome making heady plays in multiple games, and then DeAndre Hunter finally coming up big late against Texas Tech. You had all five of those guys. You know, when they sit down and, and meet uh, decades from now, they can all rightfully say, we won this because, you know, you were there on that game, you were there in that spot, and you were there in that spot. And it has also – it's become the attachment to UMBC, which is uh, – Virginia will forever be an example of like, listen, man, don't doesn't matter what kind of loss you can take. Virginia lost to UMBC and came back and won the national championship the very next year. And although you and I were on the same page with this, it also became uh, just the slam dunk. You can't say Tony Bennett can't win in March, that Virginia style can't win in March. He got his first national championship. Um if you require a championship to validate your status as a top five coach in the sport, fine. I don't necessarily uh, believe that, but for Bennett, it did happen, and now he carries that, and you know he's obviously on his well on his way uh, to eventually being in the Hall of Fame. Got more work to do, but at this stage with what he's doing with Virginia, you know he's he's clearly ahead of the pace and in, in tracking toward that eventually one day. So that's uh, the list. 10 to 1. Feel free to argue about it on Twitter. This is our technically our midweek podcast, even though we are doing it on Monday night. Like I explained at the top, we're doing it on Monday night because t- Tuesday's Christmas Eve. And as long as we're speaking honestly, everybody knows Mor- Norlander's uh, paralyzed. And so like he's got doctor stuff tomorrow. <laughs> so it's just like it's Christmas Eve. Doctors, like, The fact that he's going to the doctor on Christmas Eve shows you what kind of pain this, this man is in. So um, it was just – like, listen, let, let's just knock it out on Monday night because there's really nothing happening um, over the next few days outside of the Diamond Hit Classic. So on the Midweek Podcast, which are normally Wednesday, um, we have started, I think, last week doing a mailbag section where we ask people to leave questions uh, in their five-star reviews over at Apple Podcasts, and then I'll cherry-pick a a few out, and we'll address uh, three at the end of every podcast. So we're going to do that next, but first, check this out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. 
Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way at newbalance.com. All right, Norlander, so I've got three mailbag questions, and here's the truth. I've asked people not to leave them on Twitter, to please leave them on in a five-star review at Apple Podcasts because, again, let's just be honest, it's a way to encourage people to, to go subscribe to the podcast, to rate the podcast, to say nice things about the podcast, all of which help the podcast grow and, and, and become visible uh, to, to more people just by them stumbling into it as one of the most listened to basketball podcasts uh, in, in the country. Um, but I also need mailback questions that sort of resonate with casual college basketball fans that, that, that aren't too specific to one thing that maybe nobody else outside of that fan base could possibly care about. This is my way of saying... Um, I had to go to Twitter to get some questions uh, okay. to, to, to make the questions worthwhile. So our questions, and, and I say that with all due respect to everybody who took the time to go to Apple Podcast and do exactly what I asked you to do. But with the questions, they, they, need to be, um, they need to be something I feel like, even if you're not a fan of the particular school we're talking about, you would, you would care about what we're talking about. And so I found some of those questions uh, on Twitter. So here's the first question, and it was a question about my top 25 and one, but it could also be about the AP poll. And the, the question is this. You have, you, you have two lost teams, teams that have lost twice already, ranked ahead of undefeated Auburn. At what point does actually winning games matter more than your opinion? <laughs> that comes from at AU Deacon on Twitter. So Auburn is 11 and 0. We've talked about Auburn um, throughout this podcast. Listen, 11 and 0 after you lose, you know, Jared Harper, Chumo Kiki, like that's 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 not nothing. But you know, Auburn also has zero wins over ranked teams, zero wins over top 35 Ken Palm teams. The best wins over NC State. You know, they're 15th at Ken Palm, which is behind two lost Kansas. They're number eight in the net, which is behind two lost Kansas. Number eight in Sagarin, which is behind two lost Kansas. So. I don't think there's anything crazy about having two lost teams ahead of Auburn, especially when one of the two lost teams is a Kansas team that's got at least two wins and arguably three wins better than Auburn's best wins. And both the KU's losses, yeah, they got two. They're the top, two te- top ten teams away from home by a total of three points. I don't think it's crazy to have two lost teams ahead of Auburn given Auburn's lack of signature wins and the fact that you know one of the two lost teams is Kansas, which has in, you know an incredible resume or an impressive resume right now. I don't disagree with your logic, but I think this exact reason is why our editor said, "Norlander, you're going to do power rankings because they're going to be different from parishes." And to AU Deacon, fear not. I promise you, when I have to do <laughs> the power rankings the day after Thanksgiving, I will have Auburn ahead of Kansas just because they haven't lost and they've looked. They've looked good, not great, but undefeated. Only one of three teams left. I can't argue with the GP. If it came to uh, if it came to like seeding right now, uh, undefeated certainly means something. It's significant. And Auburn's got a, a really uh, 
a really proud record to be, you know, to boast, his, you know, puff its chest out over. But um, not all schedules are created equal. That is especially true in college basketball, and not all wins and losses are created equal. So um, I'm not convinced that had Auburn played Kansas's schedule, it'd be sitting there as an undefeated team. And so that's how exactly how you can validate putting one ahead of the other. But for the Auburn fans looking for that kind of love, I will have the Tigers ahead of Kansas. How many spots? I don't know, but I know it's going to happen. And to be clear, I, I won't then pull up your power rankings and go, come on, Norlander, you idiot. I, I don't think it's crazy to have Auburn ranked above Kansas. I'm just telling you, I don't think it's crazy to have Kansas ranked above Auburn. And the undefeated stuff, like really, I don't want to say it doesn't matter to me. Like, it's awesome. It's it's Christmas and you're undefeated. That's terrific. Uh, particularly coming off a of Final Four year and you lose key pieces like Bruce lost. Um, but I really don't look at win total or loss total that much, or at least I don't, I don't, I don't pay attention to it too much. I look at your body of work. Um, like what have you done? And, and like, you know, just the, just the, the mere fact that you're undefeated doesn't matter that much to me. Um, unless you're undefeated with, you know, three top 15 wins, then you, you'd probably be ranked number one in the country. But, but Auburn didn't have that. Like Liberty is also undefeated right now. Should Liberty be ahead of all two lost teams? Like, should Liberty be ahead of Kansas? Should Liberty be ahead of Oregon? No. Nobody would. Nobody. Nobody would argue that. Uh, uh, nobody. And 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 yet the and, and the reason nobody would argue that is you, you go well, well, Liberty really hadn't beaten anybody. I mean, they're undefeated. That's great. They really hadn't beaten anybody. Auburn has beaten better people than Liberty, but Auburn. I don't want to say hadn't beaten anybody. They hadn't been a ranked team. They hadn't been a top 35 Kempom team. That's where that, – that's why um, they're, they're behind some two lost teams. Next question. This one comes from Raul Clement1 on Twitter, and he says, What will it take for you and the rest of the media to acknowledge – really, these questions are all just people wanting to know what it's going to take for me to do something. <laughs> that's okay. what it feels like. What's it, going to be, what's it going to take for you and the rest of the media to acknowledge – Vernon Carey as a National Player of the Year candidate. I know the fancy dunks aren't there like the like they were with Zion, but per 40 minutes, he's averaging 31 points and 16 rebounds. That actually exceeds Zion's productivity. I guess I'd say this. Um, perhaps we haven't said it, but that's only because it goes without saying. Like, of course, Vernon Carey's a National Player of the Year candidate. He's the best player on a top five Duke team. You're automatically a player of the year candidate if you're the best player on a Duke team that's ranked in the top five. He's averaging 18.6 points, 9.3 rebounds, 23.7 minutes per game, shooting 61% from the field, 67% from three. His PER is 40.67. That's the highest in the country. For some context, Zion's last year was 40.80. Vernon Carey's 40.67, really close. So I know this is in reference to the previous podcast where we talked about Caleb Wesson, Peyton Pritchard, and I don't actually think we said the name Vernon Carey because we were going through the Ken Palm Player of the Year rankings, and I don't think he's on there. He is Was on he? there. No, he, he is on there. Yeah. Okay, so there. then maybe we did say the name. We did. But if we if we didn't say the name, um, it like to undeniably it goes without saying Vernon Carey is is a National Player of the Year candidate. That that nobody could argue otherwise right now. Yeah, he is number one in our freshman rankings, which will refresh and update on Tuesday. He had been hanging at number two for the past three weeks. With Anthony Edwards being number one, it's undeniable at this point that Carey, his production, value, all of it, uh, he's the best freshman in America right now. And I, 
perish. I, I'd love to give you more, but I have nothing more to add from what you just said. He's He is there, and that noise will increase as more people pay attention to college basketball, and Duke plays better teams and is on television more, and he's just seen more. So that is to come in the next two weeks. Trivia time! It's late into the episode for trivia time. You sure you want to do this? Trivia time! I mentioned Vernon Carey's got the highest PER in college basketball right now. Yeah. Who has the second highest? Okay. Uh, guessable? Can I get it? I, I don't think if I gave you 100 wow. guesses, 200 guesses. Plays in a, plays in a single-bid league? Mm, no, not necessarily. No, no, okay. no. Does not play in a single-bid league, and you'll know why I say that in, so emphatically when I tell you who this player is. Uh, you really did a 180 on that. <laughs> that was quite the realization there. In fact, you were as adamant about that as anything else on this entire episode. There, This this league should never and will not ever be a one-bid league. Okay. Also in the ACC? I, not in the ACC. Um, this league will never be a one-bid league, and I say that as the master of ceremonies of the uh, Atlanta 10 media day. So, uh, is it a I don't, f- I, how about this? Not only do I think you can't guess really? this, I don't, I, and I don't say this to try to All like, right. you don't know, I don't think you've ever, I don't think you know who this person is. Okay. Fire it away. Give me the player and I'll try and guess the team. Okay. Okay. Good. Michael Hughes. Damn it. St. Louis. <laughs> no. St. <laughs> Bonaventure. No, and I'm not laughing at you. I have never heard of this person. I'm the I'm the master of ceremonies of Atlantic Ten Media Day. Give me one uh, one more. Uh, who would Michael Hughes play for? Is he is he uh, is he dominating down low for Richmond these days? He is not dominating. He's not. He, he is not a spider. All right, who's he play for? Duquesne. The Dukes just took their first loss. Right, yeah. There you go. Okay. 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 He is averaging. 10.8 points and 6.7 rebounds in 21.1 minutes per game. And he has the second highest player efficiency rating yeah. in college basketball. PER is, is slanted toward the big man. It helps if you're able to, to rebound on both ends. And so that sometimes it's a good, it's a good stat, but it, it definitely, it's undeniably biased toward fours and fives. What's uh, what are his specs? How tall, how tall is he? He is a 6'8 center so, yeah, shoot 71.2% yeah, from the exactly, field. Exactly. That's why it's that high. Okay, fair enough. Third question. Let's do it. Third question. This comes from at Duke on Twitter. <laughs> Imagine starting a Twitter account and going, you know what? They're asking me for a name. I'm going to go with at Duke. What's it going to take for you to realize? <laughs> yeah. Everybody wants to know what it's going to take for me to realize stuff. My entire mentions are just people people curious about exactly what it will take for me to realize something. What's your thinking on Kansas being ranked ahead of Duke in the top 25 and 1 even though KU has two losses? You picked out You picked out two questions with Kansas. No, but but this is this is actually interesting okay. because I I think there's a reasonable case to be made. I think at Pro Love Duke makes a decent point. Okay. What is um, your reasoning of Kansas being ranked ahead of Duke in the top twenty-five and one, even though KU has two losses, including a head-to-head loss to Duke? Norlander, will your power rankings have Duke ahead of Kansas? Yes. Right. Yeah. I don't think definitely. that's crazy. 
They will. They will have. Yeah, that that will definitely happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't think it's crazy. Um, because yeah, Kansas does have a head-to-head loss to to Duke, but nobody ever brings this up when they're trying to make the case for Duke. Like when they always say, "Dude, Duke beat Kansas. Duke won at Michigan State. Duke's got three top forty Kimpom wins." Nobody ever says, "Hey, GP, and I know about the loss to Stephen F. Austin." Like that loss to Stephen F. Austin is a real thing. It's like, the worst. Just, like, it's the worst loss of any team ranked in the top twenty. I would have to think. Yeah, right? the 150th at Ken Palm. It, this the, normally it's this is what it's exactly what Norlander considers a seed line loss. It is. It's a, it could be a seed line bump. So if you want to argue that Duke's got better wins than than Kansas and a win over Kansas, therefore Duke should be ranked ahead of Kansas. Like I won't fight you on it, right? But Kansas's two losses, as we've noted, are both away from home losses to top 10 teams by a total of three points. And Duke lost at home to, to Stephen F. Austin as a 28-point favorite. And so, honestly, what happens is I drop Duke drastically after that happens. If you want to know, really, like if the, if the question is a literal question, why is Kansas ahead of Duke? It's because when Duke took that loss, I dropped him out of the top 10. And since that happened... Nothing has happened mm-hmm. to push Duke ahead of Kansas because, yeah, Kansas took a one-point loss at Villanova, but there's nothing bad about that. I mean, I, I think I dropped Kansas from one to three when that happened. So if you just want to say, listen, Duke, Duke's better, Duke should be ranked higher, fine. But that is my explanation. The Stephen F. Austin loss kicked them way down, and nothing has happened to push them back above Kansas since the night of that game. This has been a March-level length kind of podcast, but I have enjoyed it. I hope the listeners did as well. Take a little trip back, some reader mailbag stuff. Maybe maybe next time you'll pick it from the actual Apple Podcast reviews. Listen, you want to get a little inside baseball, a little quirky, that's fine. Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't peruse the questions, but we appreciate them nonetheless. And for those, again, I hope we have... Listen, this is a long podcast, so for those who have been traveling, we sincerely appreciate you listening, and we hope that you appreciated the length of this one. You got anything else here, man, before you go and put some gifts in, in some bags for your wife? I just want to make it clear that I think the A-10 is going to be probably a three-bid league, four-bid league, maybe even a, like eight or nine-bid league. You never know. Eight or nine, that would that's not going to happen, but yeah. You never know, Norlander. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be ruling things out two days before Christmas. I'm ruling. I'm ruling eight bids from the A10 out. I'm just letting you know. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle, the legend. Shouts to Larnell. Please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. While you're there, rate it favorably. Five stars, nice comments. If you want to leave a question, that's the best place to do it. And either way, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. I'm going to talk to you again on Friday, get ready to preview what should be a fun week in college basketball, highlighted, of course, by Kentucky and Louisville. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 